In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Well, God willing, today we're going to continue our study of the book of First Kings. And um, toward the end of the last chapter we studied, we started to get into uh, more of the, uh, more of the, uh, some of the names um, of the different kings. So I wanted to show you, um, I wanted to show you kind of a, uh, uh, an overview so we can kind of get a sense of some of the names that we're going to see. And God willing, we can refer to this chart uh, again and again to kind of keep track of all of the names. So, of course, we know the very first king of Israel was Saul, followed by David, and then the son of David is Solomon. And then Rehoboam became the king. And then in the kingdom of Rehoboam, what happened? Kingdom split, right? And who became the king of the northern kingdom? Right, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And then Rehoboam had a son whose name was Abijah. And what happened to him? What? He was a bad king. And then what happened to him? You can tell here, so there's these red thumbs downs. The thumbs downs means that they were bad. And the green thumbs up, that means that they were good. Okay, so thumbs down for Abijah. Okay, he, 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 he died. Okay. Um, on the other side, you have Jeroboam. Okay. Uh, and then his son, Nadab. Um, uh, he, he, was, uh, he had him for, for, uh, for a short time. Uh, sorry, sorry. I'm thinking, um, yeah, yeah. Nadab was the son who died um, as, a, as a punishment from God. Um, and then followed by Basha. Elah, Zimri, Omri, and Ahab. Those are the ones that we're going to cover, God willing, today, okay, on the, on the northern side. The other thing you will notice, which can be kind of confusing if you're not really paying attention, is that there'll be like, in the book of the kings, there'll be like some stories and, uh, and a genealogy kind of of the kings on one of the kingdoms. And then after it finishes that section, it then starts talking about the other kingdom. And when it starts talking about the other kingdom, it kind of goes back in time a little bit, right? So, so don't, con don't consider that everything is completely chronological um, or else you'll get confused, right? So we'll see that today um, where it'll be speaking about um, one of the kingdoms and we'll go kind of to an to end point and then it'll go back again and say, well, now what's happening? Meanwhile, what's happening in the other kingdom, okay? So... Well, that's because I'm zoomed in. That's because I'm zoomed in. Yeah. Um, the yes, that, that does happen. But typically, they will be considered like one of the kings prevails. So there might be a time where there will be, and we'll see that today, there will be a time where they're like half the people will be following one, half the people will be following the other, but then one of them will prevail and be considered the king of both. Yeah, but you can clearly see here that there is a lot of division, not just between the kingdoms, but but in 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 in, in individual kingdom as well. Okay. So we'll, we'll start here with chapter fifteen. So it says, in the eighteenth year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. Okay. 
Um, so remember, Jeroboam is which kingdom? North, okay? Um, and, and Judah is the southern kingdom. The other thing you'll find is it'll say, like, in the whatever year of king such and such. That means it's that, that many years since the reign of that king. So to kind of give you a sense of timeline, so now we're like 18 years into the reign of King Jeroboam. Okay, Abijam became king of Judah. Okay, um, actually, uh, Abijam, uh, uh, there's more than one name for this king. So sometimes in the scripture, he's referred to as Abijam. Abijam means father of the sea. And other times, like in the book of Chronicles, it's refer he's referred to as Abijah. Okay, Abijah means Jehovah is my father. Okay, so some some people say that the Jews changed his name to Abijam because of his evil deeds, because he was an evil king, that his name was originally Abijah, meaning Jehovah is my father, and then it was changed to Abijam, meaning father of the sea, because he's not like he's not godly, he's not doing godly. That's a th that's one theory. Um, the book of Chronicles is kind of like a parallel account to the book of Kings. So the book of Kings is more focusing on like the historical events, whereas the Chronicles is focusing more on like the spiritual events. But there is a lot of overlap between the two and all a lot of the same people that you read. So um, that's why in some, in some uh, places you, you refer to the same kings. And in this case, the same king is referred to by a different name, which again can be confusing. But just so you're aware that some, some people have more than one name. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Mecca, the granddaughter of Abishalom. Okay? Um, so Rehoboam, he had 28 sons. 28 sons. And we know this in the book of Chronicles. It doesn't mention that in the book of Kings. But in the book of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 11, it mentions that Rehoboam had 28 sons. And Abijam, or, or, or Abijah, depending on what you want to call him, okay, he was not the firstborn. So normally, typically, the son who would be the subsequent king after the father is going to be the firstborn, okay? But um, he was the oldest from this woman, Maka, right? And the king kind of, he, 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 he preferred her than his other wives, so he chose the eldest of her children to become the king, okay? And this person is Abijam. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Okay? So, um, uh, remember, we're talking about Judah now, right? We're talking about Judah. Um, all of the kings were always compared to David. And that's one thing that we're going to see again and again and again throughout all of the books of the kings, is that every king will be compared to David. Either either the, the Lord is going to say that he was not like his father David or he was like David, okay? Um, or sometimes they were good but not as good as David, okay? So um, at the end of chapter 14, we read about the death of Jeroboam and the reign of his son, who is Nadab. And so here we are backtracking a little bit to discuss the kingdom of Judah before the events when Jeroboam was still king. Okay, so we're speaking about now when Jeroboam was king. Remember, at the end of chapter 14, we read about the death of Jeroboam and we read about his son Nadab. Okay, so again, here we're not completely chronological. We're kind of going back a little bit in time and speaking about this time. Jeroboam was still king at this point. Abijam, okay, 
um, the son of Jeroboam continued in the evil that Jeroboam had started. Okay. Um, sorry, Abijam, the son of Rehoboam, right? We said, uh, yes, son of Rehoboam. Um, at this point, um, when having kind of like learned this, like the sinful lifestyle from the father, okay, it would be very hard for um, a son to kind of go a different route in his life than the father, right? Um, when when we read um, the in the book of Exodus, verse 34, we read, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by like like by no means hearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So some people read this verse and saying, why is it that God is visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children? Because there's actually verses in other places that says God is not going to punish a child for the sins of his father. So why is it that here he is saying he is visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children? Is the children, uh, like the, the, the king, is going to suffer for the sin of his father? What do you think? So, so you're saying that it means if he commits the same sins as his father, that he's going to be punished? Asking the question on, on not the question you asked, are you referring to he committing the same sins as his father? Would he be judged or not? Well, I'm, I'm asking what does this verse mean when it says what? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What do you think that means? This is from Exodus 34. What does it mean when, when it says that God is going to visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children? I think one of the meanings is that uh, there will be sometimes God doesn't punish the person himself, but in his lineage there will come a time when all the iniquity from the fathers, the punishment comes on one generation for all. F after God's patience on the fathers of, of that generation and their fathers and their so God has patience and long-suffering for several generations, but then there is one generation that pays the price. Uh, but it's not that it's not that they're paying the price because uh, for not for doing nothing. They also were doing the same works of their fathers and their fathers' fathers. So it's it's it, they're getting their punishment and their fa fathers in the sense that God stopped being long-suffering at that point. Um, he didn't stop being long-suffering, but he, he, he decided it is time for the punishment to come on this generation. Good. So each person is, is, is punished for their own sin, right? Each person is punished for their own sin. But whenever you have like a family history of people who are falling into a specific sin, it's very hard for the son to break out of this, right? Because the, you are learning how to be a king, in this case, from your father. So, so here, um, the idea that he inherited a kingdom that was already idol-worshipping, that already had high places, that already was doing these things, it was very easy for the king to continue the practices of the father. And this is what he learned from the father. Okay? So, so the idea here is that when he says, and he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, right? Meaning 
he chose to walk in those sins. This was this is what he chose to do, and so there will be consequence, right? There will be consequence because of the sins that were committed. Um, nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Okay, so he's saying for the sake of David, because D David uh, was a righteous king. And know also that David was a righteous king despite the fact that he fell into sin, right? Like he, 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 he did commit sin, but in the eyes of God, he was righteous because he repented of his sin. So, so for the sake of David, because David was a righteous king, um, he is going to, uh, he, he's going to refrain um, uh, and he allowed his lineage to continue. Right, he allowed his lineage to continue. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, meaning the lineage of David is continuing, right, uh, there. If we read in Job chapter 18, it says, The light of the wicked indeed goes out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp beside him is put out. Meaning for the righteous, it's like the lamp is put out, right, the the the. The, the, continu the continuity of his life is going to end. His, the light that he emits, meaning like his influence, his life, his, his presence, right, is going to be put out. Whereas the kingdom who's allowed to continue, it is like his light is still shining. So he says what? Um, God gave him a lamp, meaning God gave him a light that will continue to shine in Jerusalem, even though he is committing sin for the sake of his father David. Um, also, we read in Proverbs 13, the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Okay, so again, get the same analogy of the light. Um, and so his son, which is actually he's going to be a, a righteous king, Asa, he is the one who is going to become the next king. Okay. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So saying everything that, that King David did was righteous in the eyes of God, except for the one thing with Uriah the Hittite. And maybe when we read the story of in the Bible about the sin that David committed with Uriah the Hittite, which is, of course, the sin of Bathsheba, where he took Bathsheba as his wife, even though she was married to Uriah, and then he had him murdered um, so that he could take her as, as a wife for himself. Of course, when we read this story, it seems very bad. So it's, it's very bad. Um, but when you consider that in the eyes of God, David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in one thing, right? That was the one thing that, that King David failed to, to do. The, the sin that he committed with Bathsheba was the one thing in the eyes of God that he failed to do right. So it's very like easy for us to condemn David for what he had done, right? But in the eyes of God... Like when you look at his entire life completely, it was he, he sees him as very righteous. Yes. Yes. Yes, that is true. Um, I think here the 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 focus is on, like, I mean, I, I in the in the eyes of God, okay. Yes, maybe David did commit this sin, and I'm sure he committed other sins as well, like other personal sins. But in terms of the sins that had um, maybe a long-term effect on the will of God as far as the, the, the structuring of the kingdom, the lineage of the kings, 
because actually the the punishment that King David had was that his son died. So it's possible that this son was supposed to be the one who was the next king, and so all of this altered the course and the direction of history. Um, so I don't think what it's saying is like David never committed a personal sin or that he was p perfect in all things. So yeah, you're right. Like he did commit other sins that we're aware of. But in the eyes of God, this was the one thing that was like so egregious that, that changed the, the, the path that, that God wanted for King David. King changed the path and the direction of the kingdom of Judah. Um, whereas we see in the example of all of these other kings, like Jeroboam, for instance, when God told Jeroboam, I will set up your kingdom and, and your lineage will continue and all these things if you follow my, my commandments. But we see from the very beginning, Jeroboam falls into sin and the whole plan that God had set up to make him king falls apart. Whereas here with, with King David, like King David's lineage continues, right? King's da King David's lineage continues. And so we see that in the end, even though... Um, even though King David did commit a sin, but the lineage that God had set up for his family was going to persevere to the end, whereas on the, on the northern side, it did not. There were many dynasties, and each one God would set up, but they would sin against him, and they would come to an end. So I think that's maybe one way we can understand it. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that they did, all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was one, and there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. So Abijam rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa his son reigned in his place. So there continued to be this civil war between um, these two kingdoms. In the twentieth year of Jeroboam the king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. So remember, we're still counting here from the, the reign of Jeroboam. So he now it's been 20 years since the reign of Jeroboam. Asa becomes king of Judah after the death of Abijam, his father, who is the son of Rehoboam. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Makkah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. This is the answer to the signal group message that was sent. Okay, so Asa was, out of all the kings we're, we're reading about, this was the king who was um, righteous in the eyes of God. And he banished the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. So these perverted persons he's referring to, these were male cult prostitutes that practiced like sexual immorality as part of the pagan religious worship. This was one of the practices that um, the Israelites had inherited from the neighboring nations. The way that they um, did their religious worship is they would have, in, the, in, their, in their places of worship, they would have these prostitutes that, that committed these sexual acts as part of like pagan, like ritualistic religious worship. Okay? And so here, the, the Israelites had also adopted this. right? And, and so one of the things that this king did is he abolished this practice. Now, maybe it's very easy for us to say, well, clearly this is wrong. Like, yes, like, end this. Like, this is something, why, why, why is this something that is tolerated? But imagine from the perspective of a king that is uh, trying to end a practice that had been already accepted in Israel. So at this point, we said what? Jeroboam has been reigning as king for 20 years. And so for that 20-year period, the people are used to 
certain types of religious worship. Remember Jeroboam, he set up the golden calves, right? He set up high places. He made places for people to worship contrary to the God of Israel. And so after 20 years, you have whole generations of children that grew up that have never been to Jerusalem, that don't know anything about God's true form of worship, and they grew up in such a society where this was now a common practice. So for King Asa to come and say, no, we are going to end this practice, you could imagine that he was going to face a lot of pushback from the people because this is what they were used to, and this is what they wanted, and this is what they considered to be legitimate worship. Okay, so, so it takes really a lot of, you know, even if you had a king who maybe became the king but felt like, okay, some of these things that we're doing are not right, for him to take the step and say, well, we are going to actually d remove these things. We're going to destroy these things. We're going to purify the nation, right? It required that he would go against a lot of the people who would be in the nation at that time fighting for these things, wanting these things. So for him to, um, to take the action and steps to remove these things, it's not just that he had the right belief, but he was willing to put the belief into action even, uh, you know, at the risk of being opposed, you know? Um, you know, you think of like Jeroboam, for instance, he, um, you know, when, 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 when he became the king, all he cared about was how to maintain his power, right? Whereas we see Asa here in the southern kingdom of Judah, okay, he is not focusing on how to maintain his power. He's focusing on how do we purify the nation? How do we make it to be a more godly nation and, and restore the right worship? Also, he removed Mecca, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron. Now, a step even further, he says, not only are you doing this uh, like in spite of what the people believe, but even your own mother, uh, your, your own grandmother, you are removing from power, right? Because she is contributing to the problem. It reminds us of the verse that the Lord Jesus said when he says, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Right? He's saying that the, this, this king, truly, he cared about what is the truth. Even if it affected his own family, he was willing to go against them. Right? He was willing to go against his own family in order to stand up for the truth. And, and again, this is what the Lord meant. He said there should be nothing that kind of uh, is a barrier between us and him even if it means we have to turn the nation upside down. Like when the Lord went into the temple, he turned the tables of the money changers upside down because these people had an established practice of, of, of doing business in the temple, and so he threw it. He said, no, this is, this, is, this is not right. I don't care what the consequences are. I don't care how I will personally be affected by it. I'm going to do the right thing, and, and, and the Lord did it. Here again, the king did this. He did the right thing, even if it affected his own family. Um, but the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. Okay? Um, the, the, the high places, okay, the high places were, again, according to the, the religious worship uh, of, the, of the pagans, of the idol worshipers, they would set up these places of worship up on mountains um, so that they could offer sacrifices to their gods at high elevations, and they believe that when we are up high, it's like closer to the heavens, okay? So, so the, the pagans would, um, would practice this, okay? When Israel adopted this practice, it wasn't only for like idol worship, but the people would worship God 
according to the system. So, so again, God had prescribed to them a certain way of worship. But they in their minds said, well, if the, if the other nations are worshiping their gods in this way, why can't we also worship God in this way? So they would set up these high places, and they even if they were worshiping God and not the idols, but they would worship him on these high places. And so um, this, is, uh, this is kind of the practice that was adopted. So here he's saying he didn't go as far as removing these high places because these high places at the time were, were, were not going to be used to worship idols. They were going to be used to worship God. It is still not right. It is still not something that God wanted or accepted, but this is what he did. And, and he's saying, nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord. So even though he stopped short of going this, this far and destroying these high places, but in the eyes of God, God had favor on him because his heart was in the right place and he was doing the right thing. He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. Okay, so... His father is who now? If you remember, who's the father of, who's who's the father of Asa? Abijam. And who's the father of Abijam? Rehoboam. Good. Okay. So, what are these things that his father had dedicated? Okay. So, whenever the people would go to war, whatever loot or plunder that they would have coming to war, they would take it for themselves. Okay. So, um, Abijam, whatever it is that he gained when in his wars and his fights, right? including his fighting against Jeroboam, um, he would take this plunder for himself. Um, and, and so the, 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 the king here, Asa, he took these all this treasure, and instead of keeping it like for himself, he said, what, we will dedicate it to the Lord. Like we will make it to be consecrated and to be used only for the Lord and the house of the Lord. Um, The heathen kings, so like the kings of the other nations, they used to um, dedicate to their gods a part of the spoil that they would get in their wars. So when, when, whenever um, they would uh, go to war, they would take some of the spoil and like dedicate it to their gods. So here Asa is kind of like doing the same thing. Like whatever it is that we are gaining in the war, we are going to dedicate it to God to give it to him to fill up the treasury. Because if you remember before when we spoke about last time that the, the, the people had been plundered. Like they, the, the, the king of Egypt had attacked in the days of Rehoboam and had taken a lot of the plunder and the loot and the, the, the treasure of the Lord from the temple. And so here he is like replenishing it, right? Replenishing what had been taken. Now there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. Okay, so who is Basha? Okay, so remember on the, on the northern side, who was the first king? Jeroboam. And then who was the second king? The son of Jeroboam. He is the one who died. Nadab. Okay, he was only a king for two years. Then the king that came after him is, is Basha. Okay. And they were warring together. And Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Okay. So this city, Ramah, okay, the king, King Basha, he, he built it six miles north of Jerusalem. 
very close to Jerusalem. And this was right at like the, the, the territory, at the border of the territory between the northern and the southern kingdom. If you remember, what was the reason that Jeroboam had built the golden calves? What, what is the reason that he had made them? Yes, so they don't go offer sacrifice in Jerusalem to the temple there because that was the only place they were allowed to do so, right? So here he is again not wanting there to be people who are going out of his kingdom to go to the king of Judah. The reason they would want to go is maybe to offer sacrifice. Maybe they want to go and live there, move there, whatever. He wanted to control the people so they wouldn't go out. So he had this city that was built six miles north of Jerusalem. Okay, So the first reason could be to cut off commercial relationships between Judah and the northern kingdom. Okay, To stop any one of his people who had the intention to immigrate to Judah or to go worship there. And it could be a good first step to attacking the southern kingdom to attack Jerusalem because now you have a city that is um, that is there very close in in the territory of, 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 of Judah right right at the border if you can see if you can see this see that right so Ramah is right inside the territory of Judah right it's not even in the territory of Israel it's inside the territory of Judah Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabraman, the son of Hezian, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. Okay, so what do you think about this? What is it that happened? He didn't trust in God. Why? Yes, he asked for the help of another king. And this is actually something that, that God explicitly, on more than one occasion, warned the people, and he told them, why are you going to these other nations instead of coming to me, right? And what is the what is the the offer that he made him? What is it that he gave him? The gold that he had just brought into the temple. So if you were taking this gold and dedicating it to the Lord, then it should be for the Lord. Don't then take it out and say, well, we need to borrow it. And what are we going to do? We're going to go pay it as a tribute to the king of Syria so he can come and protect us, right? And so the king of Israel, right, the northern kingdom, had already made a treaty with this, with this king, uh, Ben-Hadad, right? Ben-Hadad, um, the son of Tabraman, okay? He is the king of Syria. They had already had a treaty with Israel. So now Asa, the king of the southern kingdom, he is coming to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, and saying to him, look, I'm going to give you this money, and if we give you this money, uh, break your treaty with them so they are not as powerful, so they will retreat. Meaning, like at this point in time, the northern kingdom, they felt strong. This is why they're encroaching on the territory of Judah in the south. That's why they're coming to build the city of Ramah. They're preparing for attack because they feel strong because they are in alliance with Syria. So the southern kingdom... King Asa, he's saying to, to Syria, we'll give you all this money. 
don't be in alliance with them anymore so they don't come and attack us. Okay, But again, as we said, instead of looking to God for help, um, they, look to, um, th they look to other nations. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. He attacked Aijan, Dan, Abel-Beth, Mecca, and all Chinneroth with all the land of Naphtali. So what did he do? He said, okay, you gave me the money. I'm going to turn, I'm going to actually betray the king uh, uh, of Israel. Okay, and he began actually to attack Israel. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and remained in Tirzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted. And they took away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. So they, they, they went to Ramah, which again is the city that um, the, 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 the north had built in the territory of Judah. And they took away all of the resources that they had there for building. And they used it to build a different city. The rest of all the acts of Asa and all his might, all that he did, and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? But in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. So Asa rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place. Okay, so Jehoshaphat became king after Asa. Okay, now we are going to go back in time because we are switching now from kind of the focus being on the southern kingdom we are now going to focus on the northern kingdom okay so don't be confused so we're going to go to Nadab who's Nadab the son of Jeroboam who is the son of Nadab Besha the one who we just talked about okay so we went back in time okay now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. So he died. He died very early, right? He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't uh, king for very long. Then Basha, the son of Ahijah, okay, uh, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him. And Basha killed him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. So Basha, actually, I, I misspoke. <coughs> Basha is not the son of Nadab. It's a completely different uh, dynasty. Okay, So that's the other thing that we are going to see in the northern kingdom is that there are these dynasties. Um, one family will go and take the throne from the other family. So I'm sorry, that I, I misspoke about that. So Basha is not the son of Nadab, he, but he is the next king. Okay, he is the next king. So we read it again. Besha, the son of Ahijah, so he's not the son of Nadab, um, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Basha killed him at Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it was so when he became king that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he had destroyed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. Okay, who was Ahijah the, the Shilonite? Do you remember? The prophet in the previous chapter who told his wife that, that their 
that he's gonna that his his son is gonna die. That his that son moment. is gonna die. And what else did he do before that? He's the one who told him that he's going to become a king in the first place. Yes. The one who told Jeroboam that he was going to become a king, the one who told him that his son was going to die. Okay. Um so he also prophesied that the kingdom was going to be taken away from him. Okay. So he went and killed um uh this man Basha, he went and killed all the house of Jeroboam. Okay, all the house of Jeroboam. Because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned and by which he had made Israel sin, because of his provocation with which he had provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. So the, the consequence that God had told Jeroboam was going to happen to him, which is that his lineage would end if he sinned against God, this came to pass. This came to pass this way. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Basha, king of, all Isra king of Israel, all their days. In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel in Terzah and reigned 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. Okay. So this is talking about Besha. Besha uh, sinned. He was king over Israel and reigned 24 years, and he was an evil king and made Israel to sin. Okay. Any questions so far? Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Besha, saying, Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins. Surely I will take away the, pros the posterity of Basha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Basha and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the fields. Okay, so just as God had rebuked Jeroboam because of his sin, and took the kingdom from him. Now also he is saying to Basha, who is the one who took over the throne, he's saying to him, because you also have sinned and made Israel to sin, okay, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam, meaning you have committed the same sins as Jeroboam, also the dogs shall eat whoever belongs to you, right? And all, uh, all that is yours will be destroyed. Now the rest of the acts of Basha, what he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Basha rested with his fathers and was buried in Tirzah. Then Elah his son reigned in his place. Okay, so this is the fourth king in the lineage of the north. Who was the first king? And then? And then? Basha. And then? Elah. This is the fourth king. Elah is the son of Basha. And also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha and his house, because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord, and provoking him to anger with the work of his hands, and being like the house of Jeroboam, and because he killed him. Okay, This prophet Jehu that's mentioned, we don't know much about this prophet, um, except he kind of suddenly appeared here on the scene, and it proclaimed the chastisement of the Lord against Basha, and then later on, about 40 years later, he also appears to tell us about the life of King Jehoshaphat. 
So um, there's not there's not a lot mentioned about him. He kind of just shows up and 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 he 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 proclaims what God is asking him to say, um, to declare judgment against Besha and his house. And then we don't really hear much about him um, again. In the twenty-sixth year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah the son of Besha became king over Israel and reigned two years in Tirzah. Now his servant Zimri. Okay, so now we are. The next, this is he's, he's Zimri. This is man Zimri is going to be the next king. So is he related to Elah? No. So here the lineage of Besha is going to end. So Jeroboam and Nadab, the first two kings, that was one dynasty. Okay. The next two kings, Besha and Elah, that was the second dynasty, right? Second family to have the throne. Now we are going to go to number three, which is Zimri. Okay. Now his servant Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Tirzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Tirzah. And Zimri went in and struck him and killed him in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. Okay, so he was a commander in the army, this man Zimri, um, and he conspired against Elah the king, and he killed him while he was drunk, so that he himself would become king. Then it came to pass when he began to reign, as soon as he was seated on his throne, that he killed all the household of Besha. Why is he killing the household of Besha? Because, because yeah, he's the, the family of the previous king, right? So he doesn't want anyone from the family of the previous king. This was the same thing that Besha had done when he killed all the house of Jeroboam. This was actually a very common practice. Whenever someone became king, he killed as many people that could potentially be a threat to him. He would kill them, okay? So here, Zimri is killing all the house of Besha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Besha by Jehu the prophet. For all the sins of Besha and the sins of Elah his son, by which they had sinned and by which they had made Israel sin, and provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Okay, so... When it says here that Zimri destroyed all the house of Besha according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Besha by Jehu the prophet, what does that mean? Does that mean that God is, like, this is what God wanted, that Zimri does this? Consequence? How? So this was a consequence, yes, against the house of Besha. But could we say that God was pleased with what Zimri did? No? Okay, it's in the plan. God allowed for it to happen. God allowed for it to happen. But he didn't command it to happen. And that's a very two different things. Like when the Israelites entered into the promised land, what did God tell them to do? He told them, to go and kill all of the nations that were there. That was a commandment, right? He told them, like, it was a righteous thing in the eyes of God for them to go and take this nation. This was God's will for it to happen and to happen this way. Whereas here, it, we could not say that, yes, it is God's will that the house of Besha be destroyed. But it doesn't mean that Zimri is going to be praised for doing this because he's not doing this because he wants to fulfill the prophecy. 
He is doing this for his own selfish reasons. He is doing it because he wants to be the next king. So God is using the kind of the, the actions of, of, of man in order to bring about his will, but it doesn't mean that Zimri is to be praised for what he did. God is just using the, the, the weakness and the sin of Zimri to accomplish his purpose, which says that in the end, that no matter what, in the end, no one can defeat God, right? Like, like, every, like whatever God decides is to be, he will find a way for it to, to come to pass, right? Even those people, like and if you think about like what is the crucifixion? The crucifixion is like the greatest act of hatred, maybe from, from Satan against God, right? Like you could say like what is the greatest attack that, that Satan has waged against God? It is the crucifixion. It is to kill the Son of Man. Right to kill him, but even in that greatest act of violence and hatred, God used it to bring about the salvation of all people. Right, so there is nothing that you can do to God that He doesn't have already figured out. Like he, he's, it's not like He is confused, He is weak, He doesn't know what to do. No, He's not. Right. So, so even when we think about like the state of the world and the wickedness that is in the world. And maybe while we are in in the world, we feel like we're kind of like victims or we feel weak or we feel afraid or we feel like things are out of control. And that how is it that we can, you know, we see all these things going wrong. We see people like going more and more astray from God. But the point is, is that none of those things can touch God. Like none of those things even get close to being a real obstacle for God. He can take all of that and actually flip it and turn it for his own purposes and for his own good. And all we are doing is waiting to see how God is going to reveal his victory in the end over all things. So while we are in this waiting time or we are waiting to see what God is going to do, it shouldn't be something that makes us afraid or something makes us feel like, okay, things are out of control and, you know, what is going to happen? No, actually, we say that God is always in control. God is going to allow his will to prevail in the end. Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri had reigned in Terzah seven days. And the people were encamped against Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. Now the people who were encamped heard it. Zimri has conspired and also has killed the king. So all Israel made Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. So what's happening? Zimri, who decided on his own that he was going to overthrow the king and become the king, well, he doesn't have the popular support. Not all the people support what he did. Okay? So this is now only seven days since he became the king, and, and now many of the people put their support behind another man whose name was Omri. Okay? And so the, 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 what, what, what Zimri considered to be like his victory and his accomplishment was actually something that was very short-lived. Then Omri and all Israel with him went up from Gibbethon, and they besieged Tirzah. And it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and died. So what did he do? He burned the house while he was in it, and he died, and the king's house was destroyed when he saw that these people who were coming to attack him, these supporters of Omri, who wanted Omri to be the king. Okay? So now, Zimri is dead. So Zimri was, if you want to call him a dynasty, he was king for seven days.
okay, but he was unrelated to anyone that came before him. Okay, so he was not from the family of Besha, he was not from the family of Jeroboam. So at this point, after a relatively short amount of time, we've had th three different families to, tr to have the throne, and they are all fighting with one another. There is no stability, there is no peace, right, because of the, the life of sin that they are, that they are living. Um, because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord and walking in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin which he had committed to make Israel sin. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri and the treason he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half the people followed Tibni, the son of Janath, to make him king, and half followed Omri. So even still, not everybody is in agreement with um, Omri. Some people, they wanted this other man whose name was Tibni. Okay? And so there was more contention. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Janath. So Tibni died and Omri reigned. So Tibni was never mentioned as one of the kings because Omri was the one who had already taken the throne and he is the one who continued to be the king. Okay? So uh, Omri is now the next king and he is the beginning of the next dynasty. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel and reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned in Tirzah, and he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver. Then he built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill. So Omri, when he became the king, he moved the capital. Why? Because Zimri, what did he do? He burnt it down. He burnt like the, the house of the king. He burnt it down like the palace of the king. He burnt it down. So Zim, uh, so Omri, when he became the king, he moved the capital. So he wanted to move the capital somewhere else. Where did he move it? Well, there was a hill, okay, owned by a man named Shemer. Okay? So he bought the hill from the man named Shemer, and he built a city, and he named the city after the man that he bought it from, and that's where we get the city of Samaria, which is where we get the Samaritans, okay, later on. So this is how the name of the Samaritans started. They're all named after this man named Shemer, whom Omri bought a hill from him to build the capital, okay, to build the capital of the kingdom. There is actually found like an antique tablet like in archaeology, that they unearthed in the city of Nineveh. And on this tablet, there was an inscription um, where the city of Samaria was called Beth Komri, which means the house of Omri. Right. So you see that the connection between that Omri the king bought this hill and made his house, his capital there, okay, um, is even something that's recorded in history that we find on this ancient tablet. Beth means house. Komri is Omri. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the same. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, so at this point, okay, there had been uh, three capitals, 
to the northern kingdom. The first capital was Shechem. The second capital was Tirzah. Okay, and then this third one is Samaria. So there had not been, you know, it was, there was a lot of instability, right? A lot, a lot of instability. And again, we can see this is a result of the sins of the people. Like there is no, if you look at, compare what the kingdom is now to what it was like under Solomon. Like where under Solomon it was so glorious that even other nations would hear about the glory of Solomon and they would come from far away to come and visit Solomon to hear about his wisdom and to see the glory of his kingdom. This is when um, everything was moving in the right direction and that everyone was submitting to the will of God. But from the moment that sin began to enter into Israel, this is when we see everything is falling apart, right? So sometimes we, um, we try to find external solutions to things. You know, like if we have certain problems in our life, we try to find external solutions and we think with our mind, how do I solve these problems? And, and that's not bad. That's good. I mean, we have to do that. But the thing that is going to bring us the greatest um, kind of um, results uh, is whenever we bring God into our life and he, he's the one who is able to make us to have peace with others. He's the one who's able to solve problems. He's the one who's able to give us joy in our life. The greatest solution that we find in anything is the presence of God. And even if the problems themselves are not solved, but we find in him contentment, we find in him patience, we find in him like uh, understanding and that, that, that he's working in ways that we maybe we don't know, but it's good in the end. So here the opposite we see. When, when, when God was ejected from the nation, the nation began, of course, to fall apart. So then, here in verse 25, it says, Omri did evil uh, in the eyes of the Lord, again, like all the other kings. This is here in the, in, in the northern kingdom of Israel. Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him, if you can imagine. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin, which he had made Israel sin, provoking the Lord to anger, to anger with their idols. Uh, now the rest of the acts of Omri which he did and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. Then Ahab his son reigned in his place. Um, Omri and Ahab, Ahab is now the famous king that we're going to read a little bit more about. Ahab was the king that was at the time of Elijah the prophet. Ahab was the one who married Jezebel, the queen. We're going to go into more detail about them and then in the coming chapters. But Om, uh, Omri and, and, and Ahab, they became like the, the two greatest examples of evil, right? Like in the history. In, in Micah chapter 6, it says, For the statutes of Omri are kept. All the works of Ahab's house are done. And you walk in their counsels that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. Therefore, you shall bear the reproach of my people. This was like the condemnation that when God was rebuking the Israelites because of their sin, he tied them to these two kings, Omri and Ahab, who is now going to become um, the king after him. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel, and Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria for 22 years. So Omri was king for 22 years, okay? Uh, and then after that came Ahab.
No, I'm sorry. Um, Ahab reigned 22 years. Ahab reigned 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So you see it's escalating. Like first it was saying, like, 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 like every, every one is like doing worse than the previous one. Um, and it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk on the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And he went, he went and worshipped Baal and worshipped him. So the one thing that's interesting about this when it says, and it came to pass as though it had, be, it had been a trivial thing for him to walk on the sins of Jeroboam. Like at the beginning, when sin was introduced into Israel, there could have been some voices of dissent and people saying, no, this isn't right. We shouldn't live this way. We shouldn't do this and so on. But after a time, um, it had become so normal to sin. It had become so normal to live in this way that nobody even felt like it was anything strange. Like it was just the normal way of life. Um, who even remembered? And actually, eventually when we get to King Josiah, who was the child king, um, at the time, they didn't even remember what the law said. They didn't even know what the law said. When they discovered the law in the temple, they started reading it, and they were shocked to find that they weren't actually following the law. They weren't actually doing what God had commanded them to do because it had been lost, right? So at the, at the beginning of sin, like maybe we have a remembrance of what is right, and maybe we have a guilty conscience, but if we continue to move forward, maybe we will forget completely what it was like to be righteous. Maybe we will d lose completely the desire for righteousness and we will be so like, like uh, surrounded by wickedness and in our own like decisions and choices, we will be so surrounded by wickedness that we won't even, we won't, e we won't e like our conscience won't even be pricked because of what we are doing and how we are living. And so this is here what this is saying. It had been a trivial thing for him to walk on the sins of Jeroboam. It was his given, right? Like there was no, uh, there was nobody expected anything different. This is what had, had been. This is what will continue to be. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Uh, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hile of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. I'm read this again. Pay attention to it and tell me what you think it means. Ahab, it says, um, in his days... Hile of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with the youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. What does that mean? He, he did prophesy something, yes. Do you remember what is it that God said about Jericho? What happened to Jericho? It what? It was destroyed. How was it destroyed? Hmm? But people went around it and the walls fell and they, they destroyed it. After it was destroyed, what did God say about Jericho? 
to do with passing through the fire? Like they they would give their children a sacrifice? Or what? That's something different, I think. Um, in Joshua chapter 6, he says what? Then Joshua charged them at the time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. So after it had been destroyed, God is saying, Cursed is the one who rebuilds the city. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. And again, th this is what this is saying. He says, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, and with the youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord. Okay? So it's like now by this prophecy that Joshua had said, this was 500 years ago. Right? This is the prophecy with Joshua. was 500 years before this. Okay? So by like a divine verdict... There is now a curse that dwells on this family who built this city of Jericho. And when he says what he laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, this means that his firstborn died like as a, as a consequence, as a punishment for doing this. And with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates again. There is the death of all of, all of them. Okay? The death of the firstborn when the foundations are laid, followed by the death of all his siblings, one after the other, until the youngest dies when the gates are set up, okay? Um, so so he, he laid its foundation with his firstborn, which is the oldest, all the way until the youngest, right? And so this was um, this was like the, the punishment that God gave per what he had said 500 years ago to Joshua, that Joshua said to the people, they should never rebuild the city um, of Jericho. Actually, Jericho is still a city now, but it's like a very small town. Uh, it still exists. Any comments or questions? Okay. Well, he's saying this happened under the rule of Ahab. Uh, I think it it is. I think it. I th I'd have to look at the map and see exactly. Yeah, I think that's why it's relevant here. So like under the under the the kingdom of Ahab is when this happened. Yeah. Okay. We can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask, O God, that you enlighten our minds and our hearts, and you help us to understand, O Lord, from your scripture, how is it that you want us to live, and to see the examples of all those who are righteous, and also those who are wicked, so that we, O Lord, see in ourselves um, all of these different factors and aspects of life and temptations and things, O Lord, that lead us astray. We ask you, O God, to protect us from sin, to protect us, O Lord, from all of the desires of our heart that lead us away from you. We ask, O Lord, that you would examine us and that we would know ourselves and come to you, O Lord, in confession with repentance, asking, O God, that you would forgive us our sins and have mercy on us. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom.
power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.